Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions, with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to today's show on World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from a gorgeous fall day in Fort Worth, Texas. And this is week two in our series, in our four-part series on death dying and the afterlife and today i welcome energy healer and intuitive suzanne worthley to the show she's worked professionally in the field of energy healing for close to uh two decades uh, especially for those in transition and their caregivers she uh, hosts a monthly online community entitled uh, vibe tribe and is the author of An Energy Healer's Book of Dying, which we're going to look at today. So it's a pleasure to welcome Suzanne Worthley to the show. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. We're, we're so glad you're here. And, you know, a lot of people shy away, as you mentioned in the book, from the topic of death. Um, it's it's not the American way, is it, to think too much about uh, about death, and I guess that's true in most cultures. Uh, there are some cultures that don't have that uh, forbearance, but um, we all die, yeah? So we, it's something we all have to face. And personally, I think one of the most important things on the spiritual path is coming to terms with your own physical death, you know, so that you can live your life more more fully. And, and you talk about that, too, in, in the book. It's not something to be afraid of. because you grew up with a mortician dad, right? So... So you were surrounded by uh, dead bodies and, and death uh, since you were young, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I the like I wrote in the book, the funeral home was basically our second home for, for running around every Saturday at piano lessons. And so, yeah, it was a very normal conversation growing up. It was like dinner time topic. And so it was very, almost a little confusing to me in grade school when I realized other people didn't have that same perspective. So it was a bit of a wake-up call, that's for sure. When I first moved to the States, the uh, the people who were friends with my uh, in-laws lived across the street and they ran a, a funeral home. And uh, sometimes we'd go over there for dinner and, yeah, there'd be dead bodies, you know, laid out and right <laughs> next to where we were eating. And it was like the most natural thing in the world. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of creepy for some people. But um, but really, it's just part of the organic process of life. Yeah. Right. I mean, remember the days when they laid them out in the parlor you know, I, I'm sitting here in the actual living room of a 1913 home, and that would be normal in the olden days, if we want to call it that, um, to have mom or dad or grandma or grandpa laid out in the parlor. 
for several days. And, you know, we've lost a lot of that intimacy. And I really uh, um, am grateful for the opportunity to at least open dialogue with the response of, you know, the the interviews from the book, et cetera. It's been helping me at least get to talk to people about something that, yeah, it's going to happen to you yourself. And it is definitely going to happen to your loved ones. And so I, for one, think it's about time we start bringing this to the table. So I appreciate the time here. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's like you said, it's something we all face um, looking after loved ones that, that are going through the transition or eventually dealing with ourselves and wanting to do it with with grace and dignity. Right. And not not uh, screaming in fear as we go into that uh, that good night, as Dylan Thomas put it. Um, so, yeah, let's get let's jump into the book then, because uh, you offer a, a multitude of uh, helpful advice um, from your energy healers perspective, um, you know, and, and the core of it to me is that, um, you know, death is not the end. Right. It's it's just the death of the physical body. What What is born must die. But there is something that uh, is was never born, whatever you might call it. You call it source energy or source. Uh, right. what we might call it God, we call it spirit, whatever. But it seems like there's something that uh, is greater than, yeah? Yeah, for sure. And and I try in the book to be generic, um, not offending anybody's belief systems or whatever name they want to use. So definitely, most definitely, people use God, they use source, they use creator, they use all kinds of things, but most, most definitely the I am presence. Right. And... Um, you know, it, it's hard to pin it down, right? It, it can only be intuitively felt. So it doesn't always, uh, you, you know, isn't, isn't acceptable to the more scientific mind. And we had a, a, a the first show in the series was uh, looking at that, you know, wh whether consciousness arises from matter or it pre-exists matter. And, uh, of course, you would agree that it, it's there before matter, right? That it, it, right. Informs, it informs matter. It is that chicken and egg kind of thing. But in my opinion, it definitely pre-exists as the I am presence as a supreme intelligence. And then that supreme intelligence does not have a body of any sort. And so we have chosen to embody a meat and bone version of that as our vehicle. And there's many, many embodiments, but in our actual physical life here on Earth planet, we have embodied a meat and bone version. So, yeah. Right. And you, you, you kind of uh, have levels and levels of this, right? So from source comes comes this life force energy that uh, infuses the, the body. And then you talk about uh, the chakra system, which is... You right. know, uh, originally from India, but now is you know is quite commonly used in the in the West. Uh, these levels of energy throughout the body, um, wheels of energy, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about the aura. So, so uh, what is the purpose of separating these out like that? What 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 do you see the differences are? Well, the reason why I wrote the book in a methodical way is just for purposes of educating. And we can jump around, obviously, in our system. We do it all day long when we're living. So, of course, we're going to do it as we're dying. But methodically speaking, it was easy to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, nine in terms of following the chakra system. Because the if we look at ourselves as that vehicle of God's source, that meat and bone vehicle, we need gasoline and gasoline is that chi or that prana or that life force from source. And so we put that life force energy into this meat and bone vehicle. 
and then we can consider or metaphor the auric fields or the bubble or the egg or all those inner you know interpenetrating words as my gas tank and so if we're looking at it in that kind of a concept it's easy to teach that we activate these chakras in utero and we deactivate them in death so we come in with a sense of consciousness and we become and then we transition back out again and so i align them directly with the actual chakras and the auric templates because when i was visiting years ago my hospice patients um this was way before i was planning on writing any book and i would ask them to show me what is happening to your body as you're dying and talk to me and tell me. And we went through them, the chakras and the fields very consistently and very thoroughly. And that's what I started to write down for my own purposes at the beginning of understanding what was happening. And this consciousness container is quite amazing because it's a map of how we actually align with source energy or not. And if we dis-ease this body while we're living we turn that into disease of some sort and that is indeed what shuts down our system and that's how we leave planets so to me it was fascinating and again i was writing it for my own purposes and educating myself and then that led to a lot of questions at hospice meetings where i would say hey i got this cool information and then it led to a powerpoint and then it led to presentations and then it led to a book so you know it, it was it was self-learning at the beginning right right well, you know, one of the more fascinating things, I think, on the on the spiritual path, and you also reference it, and that is, of course, we, we affirm there's no time or space to spirit, right? So, right? so therefore, spirit is everywhere present in totality, you know, in every little thing, in every person. And, and then this fits in with what you're talking about, in the sense everything's interpenetrating everything else. So, you know, it's when Jesus talked about when he someone touched the hem of his garment, right, the, and she got healed, and he... He felt the energy moving through him to that woman. And I love that idea because it's, you know, at any point we, we reference this, any, any, if we touch the ham, we get the full blessing, right? So, right. so therefore, you know, like you said, if, if we're understanding at any level, we understand intuitively in some sense, all levels. So it's not a question of, oh God, I, I got to take on board all these chakras and all this information no, it's about trusting your inner wisdom, right? Because I think that's hugely important. I mean, it's important to have a system so you can elucidate it, but we have to trust ourselves, right? Right, right. And again, the book is only a, a format and a platform and a learning guide of sorts. And you're right, this, this beautiful birthright that we human meat bodies have of empathy is very very important because we can walk in another's shoes for a moment in time and we can feel what they feel and that is what connects all living things on planet and beyond and this unity oneness is very very important um it's kind of like your radio station unity um unity oneness this oneness of everything is is what we get to experience on a daily basis but we're not necessarily trained to think like that and so the other reason however i wrote it step by step was to be able to share from the psychic's perspective many experiences that maybe that person that isn't open to their birthright of being a sentient empath um, might not even know is there and so to be able to share things like yes i do see you know their loved ones in the room i do see their guardian angel i do see these colors and it does feel this way hopefully is offering that 
and I'm not judging anyone, but but that uneducation in the system of energy, um, the opportunity to find things that are right in front of their face that they might not see because they're scared or they're sad or they're angry. And so hopefully this kind of psychic spin on it offers the masses the opportunity to find the wonder and the miracles and the awe that's surrounding this experience as well, not just the fear. Right. And I think we, we don't trust it either, do we? We feel like, oh, well, that was nothing, you know, well, that's just mumbo jumbo or whatever. Oh, I've heard it a million times. I've heard it a million times. Oh, that was just a coincidence or that didn't yeah. really happen. I made that up. And, you know, right. I'm here to tell you it does happen. So. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we have to open to those those levels. You know, many people do say, though, that, um, you know, they've had the experience of uh, and people have come back from near death experiences to this book of life. Right. Where they, they see their whole life flashing before them and in the twinkle of an eye, they see everything and not just all the events, but the feelings associated, you know, the intentions involved. And, right. And you, you call it the Akashic records, which, again, comes, you know, from Hinduism and, and Eastern philosophy. The idea that there is the, an Akasha means space um, or the ethers. Or the um, ether. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, the Akashic records, people say, well, where where are they? And I, I love what you said. They're probably deep within our DNA. Right. They're stored within our being in our physical being. But they re they reference um, something beyond the physical. I think that's quite fascinating too. Yeah, and and again, I think that the you know the akashic records that we have as an individual are our own soul records, and then I always equate it to like kind of like the branch libraries that then go into that full big gigantic library because the full akash would be, in my opinion, again God or Source. And that's everybody's everything from everything there is. That is the ethers. And so individually speaking, however, when we start to really honor the concept of our own Akashic record and or we can call it a book of life and our contracts within that, meaning our soul contracts with those that are in our existence here as a meat and bone body again, we can start to look at a contractual reason for the fact that I'm still here and my loved one is sick and dying and leaving. And there's there's ways that we can work that Akashic information to relieve, again, stress, anger, fear, guilt, uh, all kinds of things when we look at it from a bigger perspective. And that's why I introduced that piece into it, because this is extremely important for those that are left as much as maybe that one that's suffering with cancer or whatever themselves. It's a tough one to say to people, you know, it's all in divine order or whatever, because, you know, when somebody's right. suffering or going through the, the, the terrible traumas that happen, like you mentioned with cancer, it sounds kind of Pollyanna to say, oh, yeah, you know, don't worry, it's all in divine order. You know, it's part of the Akashic Records, part of right. the, the life plan, right? How do you get around that one? You know, not it, it may be true at a deeper level, but, you, you know, you don't want to be cruel to people either. Yeah, it's it sounds flippant. So it's very important to have that conversation carefully. And ironically, so I just did an energy uh, session even just two days ago with a mother and a daughter. And the mother has been a client who is suffering with a um, terminal illness and is getting close to this end hospice situation. And I had both of them on a Skype call. And, um, you know, it it, do, it does take a delicate conversation to talk about that. However, 
if you can navigate that conversation and open people's hearts and minds to the concept of there is something you get to take away from this. I, again, had a, just a, a, an appointment last night with a young lady who was a new client who had lost her father in July and is still confused and angry. And we talked extensively about soul contracts and that his contract time was up to offer you other things in your life. And it took a lot of conversing back and forth. And I never, ever am here to claim to change somebody's belief system on any of that. I'm only there to offer the potential and the wonder and the awe of that potentiality. And sometimes that individual's body itself will respond with what we call an inner knowing. And we might not get it in our head, but this meat and bone body might go, gosh, that really does make some sense to me why my loved one is gone and I'm still here. But again, a delicate conversation for sure. Right, absolutely. So you, you do contend then that we each of us signs a contract, so so to speak, a soul contract before we, we come into this incarnation? That's my personal belief system because when I go to what we would call in between lives and or when I go through people's records or work with them and mostly actually when I work with myself um, and go to those in between life spaces and navigate our Akashic records and past life experiences, it is very, in my opinion, clear to me that that's how it works. I also put a spin on it because I was a corporate executive for so many years, and I can kind of see it oftentimes as a visual of we're in that corporate boardroom and you're in charge of the meeting and you're calling in whomever is going to be on this project and everybody takes a role. And this is a really great visualization for people to understand in between lives when we're setting up those contracts. And then in our book of life, or our own Akashic record is the so-called you know, um, objectives and, and goals of the program or the strategies and tactics involved. And these are the key players in it. And so you can look at it kind of from that corporate boardroom sort of a situation as well. Sometimes that's a little easier for folks. Yeah, I like the analogy. And, yeah. um, you know, the it, other thing that comes to mind, too, is that it helps us get, a, get a, away from the idea that somebody's doing this to me. You know, ain't it awful, right? Yes. When you realize that everything is um, part of the way it's it's meant to unfold, and you begin to say, well, okay, if that's the case, how can I be creative about this? Instead of seeing these people as, I wish they weren't in my life, you know, and we, it would be perfect if they went away, which is many of us think like that, you know, if only I could get rid of something. Well, you hit, the, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think yeah. Akashic work is all about getting rid of and stepping back from victimization and getting out of controller and victim programming. And right. it's, again, not an easy conversation, but I'm here to tell you, if you can have that corporate boardroom vis visualization and know that that person that abused me is on the other side of the table and stepping in in a loving role to participate in something that's on my own agenda here, then in 3D, it doesn't look that way, but in up in between these lifetime periods, there it's done in love. So I don't necessarily have to forgive a poor action or condone experiences that are not what we would consider acceptable down here, but I can forgive and let go of myself and the victimization role from the point of the co-contract. And also know that that co-contract means that that abuser has stepped into a God experience to understand abuse for whatever reason, and I don't get to judge that. So there's lots and lots of ways to work this Akash and understand things and let go of things that can then open your heart space. I probably wouldn't see it in that person unless somewhere in me it was present, right? Um, 
we sort of project a lot onto others the stuff that's within our own being so so therefore they, they you know they are guides to us they're helpful in a way because Correct. they seem like the worst person why do i why do I have to have them you know but but they are actually uh, you know faithful guides to point back you know the arrow to us to see where where our work is in in that regard so that, that so that's a good thing and so is a death, you know, a co-contract of a death. My mother dying when I'm five, people would go, there's no way I would sign up for that. And I, as a practitioner, again, who has, has gone to those places, would argue the point of, yes, actually, you did. You did. You signed up for this experience because maybe in adulthood it offers you this, or maybe it brings in a step-parent that offered you those lessons, et cetera, et cetera. So even though from our 3D eyes, we say, that's ridiculous. I would never sign up for that. Um, from right. a soul's perspective and a co-contract ex you know, expression, yeah, you did. So this includes honoring the fact that my mother or whomever chose a death experience as well. So it's honoring that contract. And I do my best throughout the book to use that word quite you know, often in terms of honor, honor, honor because we get angry when somebody leaves us. We're mad because we make it about us and we forget the concept of it's their book of life they chose and we get to honor that or not. Right. Yeah, yeah it's very very subtle because you, know, you, you can't sort of make easy or simplistic uh, answers for these things, right? They're, they're quite subtle. And uh, like you said, you have to be sensitive to how you present this to, to others. You know what? I've been fascinated over the last several weeks with uh, a, a thing I saw on the television or somewhere or probably on the internet, whatever. And it was a, um, a flower that was flowering. It looked exactly like a bird. OK. And uh, I thought, how did that work? You know, because even if you believe in the evolution and natural selection, and whatnot, I can't quite see how, you know, that that flower would would imitate a bird so beautifully. And it, it spoke to me because I felt like there's an intelligence within that flower. Um, and I don't know how, but some, somehow it's able to replicate that that bird. And, you know, and I, I thought that I could only come from this consciousness, this source energy that we're talking about. Right. That there's there's a wisdom within everything. And if we can cooperate with it ourselves, you know, we can be uh, taken to play. We can create things we never imagined. Let's put it like that. Oh, totally. And I think that we are just as human beings. Those of us that are on planet right now are fortunate enough to be stepping into what we call this ascension process or the great awakening. And we're finding if we are doing our own spiritual individualized work, um, amazing resources of energy that we've never had before to tap into this so-called higher intelligence, this higher realms. And I think it's only going to keep opening up as long as the critical mass of open hearts continues to grow. And I think that that's terribly exciting. And for me, that's what gets me through the crazy times that we're in right now as a 3D, you know, mass humanity is going up and saying there is divine order in the chaos. There really is. And it's exciting. So that's what keeps me going. Well, you know, a huge amount of people died in the Holocaust, right? Six million people, at least, that was Jews, and then numerous other um, minorities, whatnot. Um, and obviously, that's that's a huge um, strike against humanity to do that to other people. Uh, but, you know, the, the we can't second guess how all that happened and the various soul contracts that led to that. 
But mm. the good news that came out of it was that, um, you know, the, the, the Jewish state was founded and uh, the statement never again, you know, we'll never let that happen again. In other words, we will not be passive in any way. We will uh, claim our good. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that Israel is perfect or whatever, but they made that shift, right, as a result of that trauma. And right. that's, that's writ large, you know. But I think we can all do it in our own lives too, right? We can, we can say, well, whatever brought me to this place, I don't have to go there again if I see a higher way. Right. And, and I use that almost same storyline. We can equate it directly to the 9-11 storyline. People argued back then, okay, Suzanne, so you're telling me all these thousands of people had sole contracts to go. And right. in some regard, what they contracted for quite possibly was a mass exodus to forever change reality, to forever to change humanity, to never do that again. It's not that I specifically contract to go out in a tower that's burning from a horrific airplane. I go out as a mass consciousness to change mass consciousness. And so these are important lessons for us. And we, in my opinion, all need to open our heads and our hearts to some things that we don't necessarily need to know the answers for. We can, this is what to me faith is, is to knowing in my heart, there is a higher purpose, a higher intelligence, a higher reason for the evolution of this whole entire existence on a basis of love, not just fear. So yeah, I get that too. Folks, I'm, I'm with Suzanne Worthley and we're about at the break, but in the second part, we're gonna look at the levels of transition that she talks about. Um, they're based around the chakras and, and other uh, aspects of consciousness. Um, but I, I want to get down and dirty with them, not just get into all the technical side, but um, the, 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 what their essence is. And it's quite fascinating the way uh, she lays it out there. So when we come back from the break, we'll, we'll talk about those, uh, those levels. And we have like 30 seconds. What, Tell me something. This, you know, commonly there's seven chakras. We got nine levels. What's that about? Well, actually, we have many, many, many chakras. Well, we above have 32. Above, 30, yeah. So, yeah, but you know, yeah. in common parlance, we're we're familiar with the seven, right? Yeah, and I I went only up to the nine, you know, two above our normal crown chakra in the human body, just because there's so much spirit energy still left before it's completely transmuted, and so that's basically the energy that's in the room at the point of death. Yeah. Got it. All right. Yeah. Because I think some people might think, well, I thought there was seven, you know. Right. But yeah. If you study Hinduism, you'll find there's, you know, there's the thousands of them actually. Oh. On endless meridians and whatnot. So yeah. that would be a big book. Yeah. That would be a big book. <laughs> OK, let's take a break. We'll be back with Suzanne after these messages from Unity. Join us then. listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. 
All right, welcome back to today's show. I'm with Suzanne Worthley, and we're talking about her book, An Energy Healer's Book of Dying for Caregivers and Those in Transition. It's published by Findhorn Press and is available at all the usual outlets. Suzanne, if people want to get in touch with you, is there a website? Yep, it's just my name, so it's S. Worthley, so S-W-O-R-T-H-L-E-Y.com. There we go. All right. And we're, we're talking about this very fascinating book about how to uh, deal with transition in a graceful and elegant way, uh, but with, with feeling, you know, not trying to dismiss anything, re really embracing the difficulties as well, as well as the opportunities. And I want to jump into the nine levels of transition. You know, we're basically working around the chakras here. So we start the base chakra and moving up. And I noticed that the you know the survival chakra, the the first one, right, is it, the 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 word you use is holding on. We we that, that tends to be the place where we don't want to leave sometimes, right? The, our loved one it, it may be dying, but they they don't want to. There's there's that sense of clinging, right? I think I think the root chakra is first and foremost. By the way, um, we are you know, living as we're dying and we're dying as we're living. And a lot of us are working on our root chakra right now, right. myself included. And I think this is a chakra that we should all be looking at and, lear you know, learning to clear as we're alive and, and walking around in our daily lives, because it will make this transition easier because of the fact that this is what holds our core beliefs and our primal wounds having to do with the concept of safe and stuff and things and so when we are confused about you know oh my goodness if i'm dying i'm gonna not have my stuff or leave my place or my people are gone or you know and then our core beliefs of what dogma is and on and on it goes this is a tough chakra because it houses all of those belief systems and we are programmed as human bodies to be in a constant fight or flight kind of a situation and so this is a tough one for a lot of people and I suggest to people all the time, look at your belief systems right now, whether you're healthy as can be or struggling with some issues or into an actual disease. Look at your belief systems now and start to clear anything out that's fear-based. And I love that idea. You know, this isn't just about uh, individuals who might be passing through transition. It's it's about the death experiences we, we all go through, you know, as, as we're moving through life. And we, we have a lot of fear around uh, COVID and a lot of fear about uh, the political situation right now. We're trying to hold on to, like you said, safety in the midst of chaos or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's it's tough, isn't it? It's tough to deal with that. So it, It's really tough. And, and I'm encouraging people right now to really examine. We are being presented some amazing, beautiful gifts within this kind of cruddy looking container of COVID. And what that is, is separation of maybe I don't have to be out with, you know, my normal everyday hamster wheel life. I actually am cocooning a little bit and re-examining my inner self. Um, we're having lots of opportunities to be able to say no when indeed maybe I'm trained not to say no in terms of I don't want to really do that, but I do it because I should and I have to, et cetera, et cetera. So this container of COVID that we're having does offer us a lot of time and separation to examine some of these deep belief systems that are especially housed in this original chakra of the root or the base. And so this can be a really difficult, horrible time, or it can be a time to have some inner work and some shadow work 
done. So, you know, you can look at it either way. Yes. And then it's not just about us, right? When we move to the second level, um, the, 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 the key words here are fear, fear for the family. And I know a lot of people who are dying, um, you know, hold on because they, they fear that the family's not going to be okay, that right. loved ones won't be able to accept. And some of the, some people hold on until all the family has come, right? The, that um, when they finally see the most distant cousin or whatever, then they feel they can let go because there's that sense of completion. I've seen that happen many times. Um, but it, but it is a strong motivator to keep us here. But also during COVID, you know, going through that fear, we, you know, we are concerned not just about ourselves, but but for our families, the ones we love. And sometimes that can be even more a strong uh, motivator of fear than, than even our own, um, you know, ill ease or di disease, whatever. This is a really tough shocker for a lot of people because we humans put our energy outwards for so much validation from others. And this is, again, a lesson that we can have regardless if we're sick or dying or fine and alive walking around is to understand that we never walk alone. We never die alone. We don't come in alone. There are guardians. There are angels. There are my actual guardian angel itself. And on and on it goes. And so when we're having this COVID situation right now where people are absolutely traumatized because I can't get to my loved one and they died alone, I am here to tell you that does not happen in terms of energy. Energy Benevolence are there. Past loved ones are there. Pets are there. It is, right. It's an omnipresence that goes everywhere. So hopefully during this difficult time, this is an important book for people to understand if I'm not there, I wasn't supposed to be, and yet my loved one is just fine. It isn't about my journey, it's about theirs. And we need to understand how to separate our egos in terms of how we can support this through prayer or open heart or sending energy versus my human meat body is sitting at bedside. So this is a really important one. And for those people that don't have a belief system or understanding of this chakra and they are the one dying, it is very important for us to know that if I die, I will still be able to be with my loved ones. I will still be able to see my daughter get married, watch my grandkids grow up, et cetera, because I am omnipresent. So this hopefully will alleviate that fear of moving forward for the dying patient as well. The third chakra is often, you know, associated with the solar plexus, a place of power, often a place of ego in some ways, you know, where, where we look after things from that level. Mm -hmm. And your key words there are live as if you are dying. So explain what you mean by that. Well, uh, you know, I, I've said this throughout most of my career because our bodies are transitioning and shutting down and transmuting every single day. Our cell structures aren't the same as they were even years ago. And so we are in essence, shutting our system down every single day. And my goal as a practitioner in energy overall is to help people understand, get rid of the fear because the fear fuel is what is clogging up the system. And we want good, clean gas. Again, our vehicle wants good gas with a great tank to hold it in. And we don't take care of our gas and we don't take care of our tank because this isn't something we learned in grade school necessarily. And depending on your family and social structure, you may never know what a chakra even is. So Hopefully this will get to the masses in terms of every single day you can either help your body move forward in transmutation and or hinder it. And so this gives you a healthier, happier, more synchronistic, joy-filled life 
And it also does the same for your death process. So this particular chakra is, can be very egoic. This can be very filled with anger. This can hold a lot of victimization and manipulation. And so we want to get rid of most of that as a human being on a daily basis anyway. So yeah, this is an important chakra. It reminds me of Crazy Horse when he said, you know, today is a good day to die, right? He it doesn't mean he was ready to die in the sense like, oh, well, it's going to be over today. But if it happens, I'll be OK with it. And it's the same <laughs> thing you're talking about, right? You've that so reminds me, it reminds me I was in Peru once and I was doing one of those crazy um, one of those crazy walks across the Amazon on those rickety bridges, you know, mm -hmm. way up miles up. And I looked at my sister and I go, today could be an OK to die if that's what happens. And <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, I totally, I remember feeling that innate concept of, you know what, if I fall through this rickety bridge, it's okay. So yeah, yeah we yeah. can't, we can get to that place. Well, the, you know, the Buddhists say, you know, act, act as if today is your last day and then yet you've got all of eternity at the same time, you know, bring the two yeah. together. Exactly. When, when you can do that, then you can be live a fearless life, you know, so. Exactly. Fourth chakra often associated with the heart, of course, and uh, love. And you, and your your line there is past life holds the journey hostage. We're not always present for love, right? We have a lot of baggage. Oh yeah, yeah. And and conditional is the key here because right. we are we're born to be unconditional human beings, and we grow up being conditionalized human doings. And this is why the human body takes such a hit here from circulatory diseases to cholesterols, to heart, to lungs, to breast, to all of, you know, we're shut down like crazy as human bodies here. And it's because of the fact that we can't understand unconditional love as a human being. And furthermore, we can't simply understand that love on an unconditional basis does not just come from a human, that we are on this planetary system called Earth to be able to connect with, give love to, and receive love from things like a tree or a flower or the wind. And this is part of our job. And if we are once again growing up in systems of family or structure, or belief or dogma that says, that's ridiculous, I won't even get that fuel. And so hopefully this book maybe brings that forward for somebody to ponder a little bit. Yeah, I like that. Okay, fifth chakra is often, the, it was a throat chakra often around speaking our truth, right? Having the authority to to speak with, with authenticity and power. And you have uh, Alzheimer's of the soul. So tell me what that's about. Well, that case study is a really cool one. Every single of the chakras has a actual case study from my real life um, situations with hospice patients. And mm -hmm. this one I'm going to make note of, and then I'm going to jump back to what that chakra is more about. But this is a great, great case study for Alzheimer's and dementia, because so many of us are struggling with that with our parents or loved ones or partners and friends. Uh, so I encourage people to definitely read that case study because Alzheimer's patients scare us when our loved one looks like they're not in there and then they sort of struggle to come back in and then they struggle to go out and this individualized case study gives some really cool information on what exactly is happening for that person when they're out of body and it puts a completely different light on things and it brings the joy factor to it it was a super cool case study but with regard to the throat chakra itself every single solitary human being walking this planet is struggling in that fifth frequency in our throats because 
we challenge ourselves every day to be right. And we only want to be right. And we want that validation of right to be from outside of ourselves to prove that we are right. And when we get better at this chakra and understand everybody's right for their own version of right. And I have no business trying to change your right or you know, take your right away or manipulate your right or whatever. We, When we finally understand that this chakra is an actual jump up from the sacral chakra. Sacral chakra has duality. This chakra transcends duality, meaning there is no light and dark. There is no right and wrong. There just is. And so this is a very important chakra for us to be studying as a human being that's walking around every day of our lives because we are struggling to be heard or not heard, to be wrong or to be right, to be right or be left, to be you know, black or white and on and on. And we're seeing so much of that in our world right now. And it is crumbling in many, many um, third dimensional ways out there that, that we're starting to see this, this start to change. But again, it's a very fear-based chakra for most every human being right now. Well, and there's different ways to speak our truth. You know, sometimes we seem to need to scream it, right? And right. that can be counterproductive. And unfortunately, we see that writ large, like you said, in our world right now, where people are, are hurting, you know, whether they're on the right or the left, they're hurting. And, and sometimes their only way to express it is, you know, with, with violence or, or seemingly, you know, discounting the other. And the key to the fifth chakra is, is to have personal power that's calm, right? You can speak your truth in a, in a dignified way. Um, that and you also, don't... Yeah, Sorry, you didn't you didn't even need to have words, maybe. I mean, the yeah. the whole point of this chakra and and bulleting out what is happening psychically is so important because you're right. You're saying a really beautiful message. We don't have to have angry words. We can use our heart space. And when people are dying at this point, it confuses people in vigil or those that are standing in the room with them because they think that this person is struggling so hard to talk to them. I think my mom's trying to say one last thing or it seems yeah. that they're whispering something. And it's a beautiful chapter to read on what is actually psychically and energetically happening in the room is, is that their loved ones are coming in that have gone. Their benevolence are coming in. Their angelics are coming in. And it is a real interaction with those that are not on this third plane. And it's really a cool transition. And yet this freaks people out when they're trying to figure out what's mom trying to say, you know, so this can be done differently, like you just said. That's a brilliant statement. We don't have to use anger with our voices. We can use our head and our heart and our telepathy. So, And sometimes it doesn't even, like you said, come out as words. You know, when, when my first wife died of cancer, um, about a few minutes after she died, I had to use the bathroom and I hadn't been able to because I was being there right at the end. And I went there and as soon as I got in the room, I saw this huge uh, field uh, full of flowers and my wife said to me in, in my head she said oh my god Paul it's so beautiful here oh. and it blew me it blew me apart because I you know I didn't create that it just happened it's it was and she often talked about fields of flowers and whatnot so it was an image that she loved yeah so it was quite natural for her to to communicate it that way but you know, I felt without doubt that that was her speaking to me, you know, sure. and that it's all it's all OK. And it was very peaceful. It wasn't, um, you know, the, the struggle was gone and all she had was the beauty. And what a what a beautiful experience for you both. And that actually brings forward a really important note in that we do die according to our, how our belief systems 
will bring things forward in our lives and in our deaths, meaning if Fields of Flowers for her was her beautiful place, her open heart space, of course she's going to experience that in her death because that's part of it. So conversely, if I'm that person that's negative and nasty and thinks that, you know, hell exists and it's I'm going to this fiery place, well, you're welcome to those experiences just as much. So again, it's important for us to be careful of our thoughts and our belief systems because this is manifested in our deaths just like in our lives. Yeah, good point. Sixth chakra, often the, the third eye, the, the place of intuition, right, um, where we bring the, the, the single eye together uh, in a very focused way. And, and you're saying rose-infused chakras. What, what, what does that mean? The, this is actually, the I think, probably one of my most favorite hospice experiences in my entire time as a person and a professional. This one and both the other one, um, which was earlier in the book uh, regarding a gentleman named Rick. This particular man that we're talking about with the rose-infused chakras was one of the most unbelievable people I've ever had the honor to work with. And it wasn't all that long I got to work with him, but I I was able to um, go to spaces and places and planes of existence with him in our work together that I have never been to before. And he was brilliant and wonderful and beautiful in his soul space and had many, many um, years of of accessing his own Akashic records. And he was fascinating to me. So this particular case study in the book is, I think, one of my favorite things in my entire time of walking this planet to meet someone like that. Um, this particular chakra is is shut down in most people due to our childhood experiences of other people's perceptions, meaning if I'm very young and I'm open and I'm psychic and I'm seeing things and a parent or a sibling says, don't do that. That's stupid. That's not real. You don't really see grandma floating in the room. That's dumb. She's dead. I will shut down that psychic birthright of intuition. And every single one of us has a birthright of this psychic skill set, but most all of us have shut down this third eye ability to to know these things. And so this is an important chakra for most of us because a lot of us don't have the capacity of garnering this information. So this is why the bullets from the perspective of how a psychic sees things that your loved one is experiencing can benefit those in the room. And they can say, wow, that's pretty cool. Even though I can't see that for myself, that's pretty neat that mom or dad is experiencing that in the bed. So. This is why I think the bullets are very important from the psychic spin. Right, very good. All right, and finally, because you know we, you don't have a case study for the eighth or ninth, and maybe that's a more abstruse areas anyway. But the seventh right. chakra is the um, the thousand petal lotus. You know, it's it's our connection to the the absolute or whatever, and and this is the place where you speak to the person about death. So explain. Well, in this one, I put at the last chakra because it kind of goes right back to the first chakra. We sort of go full circle with our head. Our right. crown chakra is our connection to God source energy and our God source energy connect. I mean, they all are. But basically, we talk about this as my, you know, my grid patterns to get up into those records that we're talking about, et cetera. And when I have dogma in the way and I have belief systems in the way that are fear and limitations and you can't and you have to and you should all of those things will directly route back again to my root system and that initial core belief and so it kind of goes full circle here and that's why I put that case study there um, you know the crown chakra is definitely our access to source energy overall it's what connects us to that higher realm and our job is to activate that and 
as we're living so that we're connecting to all of these infinite planes of reality all day long. And a lot of people aren't presented with that opportunity. And they think somebody who's psychic is special and we're not, we're all, we're all able to enter these realms with, with diligent practice and, or wonder and belief in magic back in our lives. And so this is an important thing to just maybe examine what is your belief about death while you're alive? What do you feel about it? And being the kind of energy practitioner I am, I'm very fortunate to have very blunt conversations. Like I said, I had two this week with people that are at the end of their life. And I'm like, how you feeling? How does it feel to be the daughter losing your mom and, you know, so on and so forth. So it, I think these conversations need to be more open and more natural and more um, brought forward. And so I respect radio stations like yourself and podcasts that are happening around the book to be able to bring it forward. So that's what this head finally connects the overall big picture to. There's a lot of stuff to take in, but it's all quite fascinating. Um, the last piece I want to talk about before the end of the show is that in the third part of the book, uh, you offer some uh, very helpful farewell rituals or rituals at the point of death, and you lay out you know, how that could happen and the specifics of it. Uh, and I think that's very important. You know, to Ritual has become kind of um, downplayed sometimes because we think it's dead and empty. But ritual that's empowered by spirit can be very powerful, can't it? And uh, I know in my own case with my, my late wife, um, you know, we had somebody who was a Catholic come in and do extreme unction. And I'm not a Catholic, but uh, this person wanted to do it. And it was very beautiful. Uh, my mm -hmm. wife was into chanting. So we, we chanted a lot. And then somebody would come in and play uh, rock music on, on guitar. Uh, you know, and, that, and it was wonderful because we felt like we were honoring the, the person, but we were also giving comfort to ourselves at the same time. And, and it was um, a very meaningful thing. And I, I think these are these are important. Right. Sometimes we just don't know what to do. Oh, gosh, what am I supposed to do right now? We'll have a ritual. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And get rid of the words supposed to. And I mean, you brought up some wonderfully glorious things that you got to experience. And when. We do things like drumming or chanting or we have beautiful music. We're participatory. And what right. happens is our, en our energy frequencies of our own meat body are opening up to a higher love frequency. And this is when we connect better with those loved ones that are gone. And we can do that at any time. You know, people are always like, tell me what to do, Suzanne. And I'm like, why, why would you give me that much power? The, the wonder and the awe of choosing what to do and doing something different each time and, and maybe try something now and, and, oh my God, that was great. I'm going to do it again. And all those non-linear um, ways of I have to do this and I can't do this are when our heart explodes with joy. And this is when we find our loved ones is when our heart space is open. And ritual can be very, very powerful. And it connects us to the earth frame and it connects us to our planetary forces of earth, wind, water, fire, and ether. And it expands that energy transference. And this is really powerful stuff that we sadly as a, you know, a, a race and a species have lost touch with unless you're into this world of, you know, I look forward every year, except this year, sadly, to um, equinoxes and solstices to have my vibe tribe group together in person and do drumming and prayer ceremony and fires and saging. And, you know, all that stuff is awesome because it opens heart space. And so whatever rings your bell on behalf of whatever rang your loved one's bell is what you might want to play around with and there's no rules and that's what right, makes it right. fun you know I like that and sometimes it's good to say no right now we're just going to be quiet right silence with, can with, be a, yep. a powerful thing too 
Listen, let me tell everybody about next week's show. Then I'd like to ask you, Suzanne, to give us just a couple of words of wisdom to guide us through our week. Okay. okay. So be thinking about that. Okay. I'll tell, tell everybody about next week. Next week, folks, in our series on, on death, dying, the afterlife, I'm going to interview Catherine A. Weisenberg and Jocelyn Montanaro uh, about their book. It's called Beyond Ever After, Heart to Heart, Joining Through Death and the Afterlife. Uh, excuse me. I can't read my own writing. Heart to Heart, Journey Through Death and the Afterlife. I thought that didn't sound quite right. So join us as we continue looking at the, this fascinating and important subject. But right now, Suzanne is going to give us some words of wisdom. Just a few seconds left. Oh, you know, one of the most common questions I get, and I just got it this week from the gal yesterday, is, is my dad okay? Is he okay? And I am here to tell you I have been privy to and fortunate enough to have um, people that have died move through my body, talk through my body, be be there to shine forward as a projection of loved ones gone, et cetera. They are fine. They are in transition. They are doing work, but they are in a place that their soul is taking care of them along with all kinds of help. And so, yes, our our loved ones are fine. It's us that needs to do the work to let them go. It's us that needs to do the work to return to joy, because the more joy we hold, the better they hold that joy in conjunction with us. So do your own work, I guess, is what I, I think is one of the most important messages as a practitioner. Do your own work to let go of fear, anger, resentment, you know, judgment, et cetera, even when you're living, because your death will be easier and you will always be able to connect to your loved ones easier the more joy you hold in your heart. They're not burning in hell. <laughs> well, you know, depending on their life choices and consequences and their perspective, you know, maybe that's what their version of their afterlife is. I don't particularly right. believe that in that in that so-called place, but I do believe in atonement and I do believe in that we do work on the other side to get back to a place of knowing what it is that we didn't do here. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. Right. It's a place of work. You know, it's okay. a place of work. Fascinating so. stuff. We're at the end of the show. Thank you so much, Suzanne, for being Thank on, you. on the Unity Online with me. That's wonderful. Bye-bye so now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.